springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Every bunny loves honey glazed carrots, a great side dish for your springtime celebration, and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Wine is made in virtually every country in the world, and I'm ready to give you a tour to find the right one. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine and More. Cheers! And welcome to Fair Game, the podcast with a firm focus on Irish sportswomen coming to you on the Headstuff Podcast Network. I'm Emily Glenn. Welcome to episode 29 of the podcast. Joining me for co-host of this episode is commentator, Ironman fanatic and triathlon expert, not to mention Irish cycling record holder with the Galway Babes, Joanne Murphy. Joanne, you're very welcome to Fair Game HQ. Why, thank you, Emily. I'm delighted to be joining you as co-host for this episode on endurance sport. Before we introduce our Whopper guests, just a quick reminder of where you can find us. Check out headstuff.org for our full archive of episodes. And Fair Game is also available to subscribe to on iTunes, Android, Stitcher and Spotify. If you enjoy the podcast, then do us a favour and rate and review it on your app of choice. You can follow us on Twitter at FairGameCast to stay up to speed on everything happening in women's sports on and off the field, both at home and abroad. And sharing episode links on the likes of Twitter, Facebook and WhatsApp also go a long way. So send it on to friends, family and clubmates who you think might enjoy it. A special thanks to the Run Logic store in Tampa Bar for their support of this episode. It's really important to support your local running store. And let me tell you why Ash and the guys in Run Logic have set up a running shop that is owned and run by runners for runners. I'm sure both our upcoming guests will tell you how important running shoes are to performance of any duration and the guys in Run Logic are the type to make you a coffee, talk you through all the options and then re- remember which races you signed up for uh, when you come back for a pair of new running shoes in six months. They have 10% off Saucony for uh, the duration of July and they also have a running group which uh, I think operates weekly but if you log on to their Facebook you'll find all of the details there and over on our Twitter. They're located in Smock Alley in Temple Bar and if you are an out of Tenor, they can still be your local running shop. Just log on to runlogic.ie. So, on to the episode. You know the feeling of doing something for the first time? You signed up for a daunting 10k or half marathon and trained for something you thought was beyond your limits. And then you achieve that goal, your limits move further and further away. Well, our two guests today are here to talk about endurance for a journey that is without limits. Always further, always longer, on foot and in water. We're talking about ultramarathons and that fabled triathlon distance, Ironman. In the first Fair Game hot seat, we're joined by an Olympian who competed in the 2012 London Marathon. She's a regular top finisher in marathons, including the 2012... 2017 Dublin SSE Electricity Marathon when she was the second Irish woman over the line in a time of 2.36. Katrina Jennings is the current Irish record holder in the 50k ultramarathon distance winning the Donaghy ultramarathon in a time of 3.24. She's represented her country in the Irish ultramarathon team goals. Katrina you're very welcome to Fair Game. 
Thanks, also Amy. joining us is a woman for whom mastery in one sport is simply not enough. Oh no, excelling in her craft, she has excelled in swimming the 2.4 mile distance, the 112 mile bike ride distance, and then she runs a full marathon distance. She is a two-time Ironman World Championship finisher. She's competed and won her age group in the Ironman South Africa and Ironman Bolton. And she was the only woman flying the flag for Ireland, the Ironman World Championships in 2017. Aileen, welcome to Fair Game. Hi, Joanne. Hi, Emily. Uh, uh, Katrina. Uh, thanks for having me. You are very welcome. I'm going to get straight down to business, Aileen. I'm going to ask you the very first question. And I'm going to ask you, how does a non-swimmer or somebody with not a strong swimming background end up on the start line of the Ironman World Championships twice? Uh, randomly really I suppose uh, my background would be a pretty kind of average hockey player school hockey college hockey club hockey and I just sort of fell into triathlon with a group of friends we decided yeah 10 years ago that we'd uh, sign up to do a triathlon I assumed it was going to be a team effort as in it would be a relay so I said oh sure I'll do the 5k run section I can run yeah 5k that won't be a problem but no, the plan was that we're, there was five or six of us. We we're all going to sign up, do the whole race. So my first race was literally me uh, getting into the sea down in Valencia in Kerry, swimming from Cajar Sivine over to the island and being absolutely terrified that I wouldn't be able to get from A to B. Um, I did, got on the bike and the whole field passed me out practically on the bike. And yeah, did the 5k run, got over the line. And from that moment in... 10 years ago I was yeah I was hooked like I, I figured there was a, a a whole lot more I could do uh, in, tr in trying to improve the whole the whole situation in triathlon so yeah I was very inspired to yeah to try and fix the next bit so I decided well I'll try and learn how to cycle next so that was my next kind of endeavor to you know buy a race bike and get the clip-in shoes and you know get the lycra Take so a swimming lesson. <laughs> I had taken some swim swimming lessons before I did that. That's actually all I did in preparation for my first triathlon. I, there was a triathlon in Ireland had a new to try group. So I think I spent from January to May every Wednesday night in Sports Co. From 9pm until 10pm feeling like I was just swallowing the swimming pool. Every Wednesday night I went home with a belly full of water. But anyway, I didn't I didn't drown. I got from A to B and uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm still struggling, to be honest, uh, to perfect my swimming. I think it'll be a, a, a long term journey for me. Um, but the good news is there's two other uh, disciplines in triathlon, the bike and the run. So you can compensate a little bit. I think that's a that's a feature of endurance athletes overall is that kind of eternal optimism. Of there's always something that can be fixed or done yeah. a little bit better or tweaked, you know, for the next performance that could shave minutes off your time or could could in some way, you know, if only this had happened, if only that had happened. Katrina, over to you on the 50k distance. When did you decide, what was your kind of aha moment that you thought, okay, a marathon is no longer enough. I want to go further. So um, similar to Aileen, I kind of fell into it a little bit, but um, I had been running marathons. I'd run probably maybe four or five marathons and uh, I received a call from my coach six weeks before the World Championships 50k, which was taking place in Qatar in December 2016. And um, he asked if I would like to uh, compete for on the Irish team for the 50k because my time in the marathon qualified me. Um, so I immediately said yes. I, I never turned down an opportunity to represent Ireland. It's always, um, you know, a real 
a pride um, for me to, to wear the Irish vest competing. So I went to Qatar, not really knowing what to expect, thinking, well, it's only five miles more than a marathon, so it can't be that hard. Um, but actually, it's a completely different event. It's it's It really is starting to get into that endurance side. And um, you can't just think of it as a marathon followed by a five mile. It is like uh, completely different, you know, throughout the whole thing. The course was actually... Um, it was a 5k loop so you had to do 10 laps and I had just planned in my head because of the heat and the humidity of Qatar mm. that I would you know set off fairly um, conservatively so I got in with a nice group and actually I really enjoyed the experience um, I mean it was the, the conditions were tough and I finished it going well I mean I could definitely run faster than that but I really enjoyed it and and I suppose I knew that um, like fundamentally I am an endurance athlete and even in the marathon Come, you know, I would never be kind of collapsing over the line. I mean, obviously, you're you've used all your energy, but I always knew that there was probably more in reserve. If a little um, bit more in the tank, yeah. And how do you find the loops of that course? That particular course was tough because part of it was on tiles. I'm not sure if you've ever run on no. tiles, Aileen, but it's just so energy sapping because it's you know the way a lot of runners would say you should run on uh, tarmac where you have an opportunity rather than the footpath because mm-hmm. it's, there's a little bit more give or even grass, even better. Well, tiles are even worse than um, t- than concrete because they're just so hard and like you wouldn't, you might notice it in the first lap, but after three or four laps, like it's really tough on your legs. Um, and it was also a bit slippy. So, um, you know, it was just the actual lap itself wasn't ideal, but actually mentally I like the five lap course in Donaghy. It's a 5k loop as well. You have to do 10 laps of it and it's actually nice to know what's ahead Mm. How do you break it down though? I mean, do you break it down going into the race saying, okay, I have 10 5k laps to do or I have, you know, do you, like I know in an Ironman you might do that the marathon, you might break it, at the end of the Ironman you might break it down and say, okay, I have, you know, however many 5k's to go to do or I have two or four 10k's, you know, how, how do you break it down, Katrina, when you're, when you're doing 10 laps of a 5k course, is it not mind numbing? Uh, yeah, it is a bit, but <laughs> it just lap by lap really, I mean, um, in Donaghy, actually, I turned out my splits were all really even, but I had a plan in Donaghy to go in and just be really conservative at the start. But obviously, really conservative at the start means that you're probably full, full or flat out at the end, you know, with, with the fatigue that sets in. Um, I don't know, I was just ticking off the laps in my head every time I'd done a lap. Um, you know, it, it, like I was delighted. And then um, the... When you when I'd done eight laps, I was close to the marathon, so that kind of got me through the nine ninth lap because I was wondering, oh, I wonder what my marathon mm. split will be, and then the last lap is the last lap. I almost, you know, when you you're training anyway, you do reps like I'd often do ten by a k or something like that. So I just kind of, even yeah. though it's five k, I just think of it kind of as a similar. Yeah. I, I must say I love um, finishing an Ironman with laps of a run. You know, clocking it off, like getting your wristband, going that's one lap done another wristband another lap done so you know you know when you're getting your fourth wristband you're getting towards the end any of the Ironman distance races where there's no laps on the run I actually struggle mentally because you're kind of looking down the road trying to spot where the turnaround is and then there might be some dog legs you're not exactly sure how far it's gone so as regards wrecking a race it's much easier just to figure out the run loop 
I suppose at the business end of the race as well, which both of you would be at in a lapped course, is you're able to see where your nearest competitor is as well, how far ahead or maybe behind they are, how much work you have to do to catch them. I know Aileen, you know, for yourself in in Bolton, it's it's a lapped, it's a lapped course. Uh, Kona isn't so much the laps, you know, it's a very, very different course, even though there's an out and back, so you can see it. Does that help or does it hinder your performance, do you think? Well, to be honest, when you're in a big race like an Ironman and you're racing as an age group, but you don't really know your competition yes if you're racing a local race at home and you know the you know 20 girls that are there yes then it's helpful to be on a loop or an out and back and be able to uh, keep tabs on you know gaps growing or closing but um in a in an Ironman race particularly abroad you don't actually know who your competition is you might be trying to check out the number and see the age group but really you don't have any idea you're just trying to well I'm usually just trying to focus on keeping a pace or maybe trying to catch somebody ahead or breaking it down if there's a hard section you know trying to yeah give myself a little bit of pep talk to you know grunt it out for this bit or you know you know the sections of the course where there's a little bit more support or cheer so you know you always try and you know run for show in those those parts <laughs> run for show all about that <laughs> So all, like anything really just to keep in other words you what you're trying to say is you're performing for the crowd <laughs> not Aileen. at all no <laughs> well they do give up yeah. their day <laughs> that's true and it's a longer harder day for the spectators so it, oh, is, it is yeah yeah you know yeah I have to say I find the lap really good because my first time in Qatar um like I knew my competitors because okay, you know yeah. we were all like it was just all the females were all against each other uh, because of the loop I could there was a part of it where it was um there was kind of an out and back so we were I I could see the people ahead of me kind of coming down the road as I was climbing the hill and I could see two of the girls were dead on their feet and I knew that I was stronger than them mm. so you know you had that like extra Very boost that if you keep going yeah. so I think that actually really encouraged me and I ended up passing both of them but um if if I hadn't have seen them if they were just way up the road you mightn't have believed yeah. that you could do so it so I yeah. do think mentally yeah. it's really good yeah. um you can kind of I suppose, assess how your competition are yeah, feeling. Yeah, well, having some information exactly. is always good, yeah. I think. Yeah. How, do you, um, how do you train for that mental game? So I, I asked this question, I suppose, because I want to know. <laughs> um, but I did my second 50k just this weekend past and I got, it was a, it was a trail ultra in South Downs National Park in the UK and I got uh, into the last aid station and in my mind, the aid stations were... I'm pretty sure it was advertised, like I just got this wrong. So whatever happened, I just got this wrong. Anyway, got into the aid station. I was like, great, only 5k to go. And they uh, they looked at me really kind of disappointed for me. And they were like, oh, it's 10k to go. <laughs> oh. And I nearly died. I ended up walking up a hill. I kind of, I got to the top of the hill and I kind of regained myself and ran off. But I was like, got it for a solid three minutes like I was really that is tough yeah. but how yeah, do you I, I had a similar experience actually and really? I did a 50 mile race in San Francisco last November and again like that at the last aid station I was convinced it was three miles to the finish and I said oh this is great three miles to go and they were like no it's six miles and I was like six that's exactly, so exactly what happened to me and I find that really tough I actually probably find that the toughest moment of the race really because you're getting to you're, you're kind of it's almost like you're conserving your energy mm. you're trying to expend in a you know consistent manner and when you've when you know you've doubled the length of time to go it seems like an but eternity I, I actually think if they had said to me you've only oh 5k oh you've got 6k to go I think I would have had the same effect yeah. I think I would have oh, just been right, yeah. oh no <laughs> no not more um but how do you kind of train that mental game how do you train the mental resilience because you're you're going longer than the average it's not a sprint triathlon it's not a 10k it's not a half marathon so when you're in a run or you're in a race 
and you're having a bad swim or you're, you're, the first half of your marathon has gone badly, how do you train that mental resilience? Well, there's generally for me personally about 28, 30k into the marathon on an Ironman, I'm usually asking myself, why am I here? Uh, whose idea was this anyway? I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like that does go through your head. You're like, I'm just going to stop because like, what's this for? You know, like no one's making me do this. I'm paying money to be here. Um, it's not a job. And then literally you just kind of realize, I actually, I really want this. All the hard work and training, which I love doing or that I've put into, you know, don't step away now. So it's just a process that if you're human, I think, and you're in endurance sport, you're going to have dark patches that you go through. So the yeah, mental self-talk. Yeah, realize it's there and just have some coping mechanism in your head or some self-chat that you're going to implement just to get through it. Yeah, and I think actually you you nearly train your mental um, stamina when you're training. Training, yeah. Mm. So like I would have, I would do quite a bit of my training on my own and uh, like I I would have a rule typically that I don't listen to music because mm. I think that's a crutch that you'd miss then when you're racing and often there are times when I'd love to just throw on my headphones and go out I don't let myself well th- there are times when I if, if I really don't want to go I'll say right I'll just listen to music today yeah <laughs> but I think it's really important and I, I think a lot of people fall into the trap of just either and it's great to train with people absolutely and you know that is a really good way of getting the miles in and and also making it more enjoyable but I think if you're training the mental um toughness and yeah. the, the ability to get through and know you can get through this on your own yeah. when you're training it's much easier in a race like i i mean i wouldn't there are i have had races where i've had that you know mental debate about how tough it is and will i keep going but i've had lots of races that i would that would never even have entered my mind because mm-hmm. you know you're just you just know you've done the training and you've trained your mind as well as your body. And having come on the other side of it, so coming from the triathlon and running background then into the race team side that we did for the race around Ireland last year, like there was times where you were just in the depths of depression, cycling in the (laughs) middle of the night, busting your ass to go up a hill and kind of doing, what in God's name am I doing here? Oh my God, this is so, so hard. Why am I doing this? Why have I said I'm going to do this? But you can't stop because... You have a team of three other girls with you who are relying on you to absolutely nail it on the bike. And you have a team of 11 crew that are there giving up their time to help you to be there to do this. Aside from all the sacrifices you've made yourself to be there, plus everybody following and watching. I mean, that's almost the hardest mm-hmm. bit as well. Like when all you slow down, they, can see, yeah. they could see people passing us out. They could see other people passing. You know, um, one of the big things that I found definitely last year uh, for the race around Ireland, the 2250 kilometres for, for the team, for the goal, my babes was we actually drew strength from the pain so Mm. when we really started hurting we drew strength from it we just literally dug in that little bit deeper and thought you know what no matter what I'm going through somebody else is going through an awful lot more of a tougher time Um, you know we cycled quite close to where my family home was in Cork it's quite emotional but it was such a privilege. We were so lucky to get to do this at the same time, you know. So you kind of, but you mm. do have to suck it up. You have to just talk yourself back into, mm-hmm. I'm here because I chose to be here. Yeah. Nobody forced me to be here. I am lucky. That's a really interesting one. So you guys, I mean, you're talking about the dynamics in a team and the mm. not wanting to let each other down and stuff. But you guys compete as solo athletes. Yeah. But you do have clubs as well, right? So yeah. Piranha and uh, Rathvarnham, maybe? Le- Letterkenny, Le- Le- Sorry, Letterkenny, okay. <laughs> sorry, formerly, Letterkenny. Uh, formerly Rathvarnham. Gotcha. <laughs> um, so how, kind of how does 
training with a group and then racing solo like what are those kind of dynamics like I really enjoy training with a group and this year I'm training with a team called Hup Up so that involves for me the hardest thing for me to do is to do swim training by myself being a weak swimmer I actually need the uh, enthusiasm of other people around me as well so training with a group for swimming is actually really helpful for me and it it has definitely improved the situation for my, for my swimming and the coaching and all that and um, uh, again a lot of the biking and running I, I, I often do that by myself as well solo but um sorry I actually don't know what you what the question was originally. so I suppose like is it important to you to have the option of a group to train with oh, yes. or because yeah. I so I would prefer to run on my own yeah, like I'm yeah, not yeah. a major fan of yeah. an athletics club yeah. um but I mean sometimes I go for a run with pals and on the days that I don't want to go having someone else to be like you yeah. can't bail on me today yeah, that's yeah. really important yeah so it's yeah I suppose it's good to have have options it's good to have yeah. a mix of situations so yeah I'll go out and do my long runs by myself usually but for the but, sport um, that you enjoy mm-hmm. or maybe are the weakest at you it's like the, yeah. the dynamic of I don't think I would get up as often in the morning if I was just going to the pool by myself I know I wouldn't have gotten up at six o'clock this morning <laughs> to go for a 50k bike ride if I didn't think I was meeting somebody who actually texted me to say they had a sore tooth and couldn't come at 10 to 7. <laughs> I was all set ready to go. Did you go? I did. Come I did on. my 50k but I'll tell you what the most important part of that whole thing today wasn't just about getting the training done. I don't know if you'll find it now obviously because you probably train in Dublin here maybe a little bit more solo than at home. It's the social aspect of it. It's the cup of coffee or the mm. cup of tea afterwards. It's the chat on the bike. It's the chat on the run. And you definitely push yourself when you're with people mm. and I think you can't discount the strength you'll take from the numbers that you'll train with as well people mm. will push you harder uh, if you're with them but I also think that in this era of healthy living and training and triathlon is very much a solo sport as is your ultramarathon running the social aspect of it is massive Mm. because we don't go to the pub as much anymore now so having the cup of coffee or the breakfast yeah. I think it's a massive part yeah. of it and, and I think being part of a club is hugely important huge yeah and I actually even though I'm part of Letterkenny Athletic Club and I do love racing for them because just of the logistics I can't train with them very often so I have there are a group of people in Dublin that I do interval session with on a Tuesday TT racers and I have to say that doing intervals with a group is it's so helpful because that you'll definitely push yourself on more than you would on your own. And um, it's I mean, we do it at lunchtime, so we don't have time for the you know social side afterwards. But even just the chat between intervals is really nice and it makes you go and it does make you train harder. But um, I've actually I've I've changed coach recently as well to um, Teresa McDade. And uh, like a lot of her ethos is, is um, related to, you know, running by heart rate. And it's very difficult to get a group yeah. that will run at your heart rate. So unfortunately, that means that you're kind of pushed into running solo. And, um, you know, I think, I, th- I suppose it depends as well on what your, you know, your ultimate goals are. I mean, do you want to, uh, like, I, I sometimes think, yeah, it would be really nice to just like train with people all the time. But then I don't think I'm going to get as much out of myself as I could if I did the specific training. And that knowing that kind of keeps me going, I think, when I don't really feel like going out and I don't really have anyone to meet. <laughs> but I, I think as well, when you're at the pointy end of, of, of sport, like you ladies are, you kind of have to be a little bit selfish as well. You know, you have to be selfish with your time, selfish with your nutrition, selfish with your sleep. And it's not a bad thing um, because you are going out there representing your club, your county, your country. Mm. You're sacrificing a lot uh, to do what you do, but you also have 
the pressure of of holding a record or being a super athlete like does that pressure ever get to you no no <laughs> I, yeah, not. me neither. Like I usually enter a race and I'm fairly excited to be at the start line and just to see what's going to happen and am I going to be able to put it together the way I want to. So usually, no, I don't feel pressure, more just an excitement to race. And yeah. I think as well, it's, um, uh, it's, you know, when you've gone through a lot of injury and you can't race, yeah. I think when you get to a start line of a race you're kind of like a lot of the time I'm grateful that yeah. I'm there yeah. and I'm yeah. healthy and you know I mightn't be in as good a condition as I'd like to be in and um, you know that's sometimes that's hard to you know I suppose come to terms with but you just have to come to terms with that yourself yeah. and I think you still have to re- realise that as you said earlier Aren't we lucky to be able to do it? Exactly yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You had a, a very public injury very public battle with your injury was there I, I mean I'm so I'm always one for kind of talking myself into, God, is that an injury? Is that a niggle? Is that an injury? What is that? So talk to us a little bit about your uh, your journey through London. Um, yeah, so I guess um, hindsight's a great thing. And I think I've become much more, I, I think I've learned so much that now if I, if I had a niggle now, I'd probably be way more cautious. And I've probably matured a lot as an athlete, you know, in the last maybe 10 years. But um, I mean, prior to London, I, I'd get a niggle and I'd run through it and inevitably you'd either, well, one one of two things would happen. You'd either be fine or you'd you'd actually, it would stop you for a while and you'd cross train and come back. Um, so with before, before London, obviously I had a niggle. I was convinced it was just a niggle that I would get through it. And in any event, I thought, you know, the adrenaline on the day would be fine, would, you know, would be fine. Um, I had been receiving a lot of, you know, very good medical treatment. And I think the, you know, the general opinion was it'll be fine on the day. No, no, no problem. Um, unfortunately, that wasn't the way it ended up, but um, I guess it was a 50-50 chance. Mm. It's the best way I can describe it. And uh, it just was really unfortunate that it was the wrong side of that 50-50 in such a public stage. And talk to us about the, I mean, did you did you ever think of just going, OK, look, I'm just going to drop out? No. Well, I mean, I had the whole, no, I never actually thought I was going to drop out. Because what I actually saw on the day was just a huge display of emotional and mental courage you know because you didn't drop out like and I just thought that was just so incredibly brave and brilliant yeah no I I never thought I was going to drop out but there was there were points when I was kind of running along wishing that everyone would just go home (laughs) so that I could finish it without being like um but at the same time obviously that support was amazing you know I mean I think the city of London and all the spectators, both, you know, Irish, English and of all nationalities, really, I think they probably proved their, um, you know, their mentality also by staying there and waiting mm. for an athlete they'd never heard of before and like was clearly way behind all the other athletes. So, um, I mean, it, it has been a really difficult process for me to, um, you know, to come to terms with that. Mm. And it's really only now that I'm, what is it, is it six years later that I'm mm. actually able to really look back and say, well, actually, you know what, maybe I, you know, maybe what what I did was actually admirable in, in some respect. But I mean, it has been a mental challenge. And what about you, Aileen, the mental kind of comeback from injury? 
how do you deal with that? Um, I've actually been, I hate saying this, touch wood, been fairly good injury-wise the last few years. Um, so I haven't had any major injury struggles, thankfully. Um, I did have a little bit of kind of a health wipeout earlier in the year. This year I got yeah, just a bit sick over the, the winter, got hit with the flu and um, was probably three or four months really below par, not able to train, just yeah, eating, sleeping, working. So for me, that was uh, that was probably the, the biggest challenge I've had. I had kind of seven months out of the sport, really. So I'm just uh, gearing myself back up into training season again. Aileen, yeah. how important is nutrition? for recovery you know especially like we fuel our bodies uh it's very so, specifically yeah. when you're when you're training yeah it's really important and any endurance athlete or anyone training you know for any kind of sport it's really important to refuel adequately so for me i'm generally training twice a day i'll swim in the morning for 90 minutes and i'll usually have some sort of run or cycle after work or a lunchtime run perhaps so i, I believe in eating real food non-processed lots of vegetables lots of fiber uh, fruit and making sure you're replacing the calories that you've lost fairly quickly uh, particularly after any kind of key hard training sessions that you're getting good uh, some good food into you pretty quickly afterwards that'll help your body to recover you'll sleep better you'll wake up the next morning and be able to do another training session so for for yeah for any athlete uh, proper nutrition is is hugely important in a, in a typical training day, like a heavy load training day, what would you what would you eat? <laughs> what would be your calorie um, intake? So I generally swim without breakfast, but I'll have a little bit of an emergency uh, carb drink um, in my swim bag just in case we get hit with a really hard session and I'm struggling. Um, and then I'll have uh, porridge, yogurt, berries, coffee afterwards. Um, I'll be snacking, you know, boiled egg, apple, almonds during the morning. I'll have a... Uh, you know, healthy lunch, sandwich, chicken, salad. Um, I'll generally be snacking again in the afternoon. <laughs> and yeah, like I eat everything really, you know, um, but I, I, I'll, I'll try and make fairly healthy choices. But, you know, there was a pan of chocolate this morning. I'll have to put my hand up and, you know, admit to that. Katrina, <laughs> tell us a little bit about uh, post-race nutrition. So, I mean, fueling for training is one thing, but fueling for race day and then after race day. So can you talk to us a little bit about your approach to that? Uh, yeah, no, I'm not the best person <laughs> on nutrition, I have to admit. And after a race, I'm generally like, well, depending on the race, um, I'm like, I'll just eat whatever's in the the goodie bag <laughs> which any nutritionist would probably kill me for but um yeah I mean I, I it depends on the race as well like I mean sometimes if you race really hard like after Dublin last year I literally couldn't eat at all I might I was just although I think I had some sort of virus but um I think sometimes you race you push yourself so hard that you you actually find it difficult to eat proper food so that's why I don't mind eating the chocolate bar or just anything to get it into you um like I wouldn't be complete I wouldn't be terribly different in what I eat after a hard race than I would after a training session I think it's just important to get something in in the first 30 minutes typically mm. a banana or a piece of fruit or just something that's easy to you know easy and quick on their own I mean you know I suppose it's hard to fit in the training session and remind the nutrition so it has to be something that you can do quite easily and make it simple and you guys both work with coaches. Do you work with nutritionists as well? Or is that a, a kind of a more holistic approach that you've taken yourselves? 
Um, I had an assessment with a, a nutritionist that works in a company called Gourmet Fuel. So she kind of went through my diet and my calorie intake and outtake. So I've got a, a lot of advice from her and some, you know, meal plans that they provide, which is actually really helpful for me at the moment, working full time and training twice a day. Yeah, when yeah. I was a carded athlete as well, I was... Um, I was getting advice from nutritionists in the Irish Sports Council and I've kind of just kept that knowledge with me. I don't currently work with a nutritionist, but I have I think I have a like a, a good basic knowledge of what's good and what's not and what you need to do. I mean, it's definitely you mentioned earlier, there's always areas you can improve on. And for me, nutrition is the big one. Like I know I can improve in my nutrition. But um, <coughs> can yeah. I ask you, um, Katrina, what do you eat during the race, during your yeah and that's actually what I was thinking when you were asking the question I would focus an awful lot more on what I would eat during the race than what I would eat after it yeah um and I haven't played around with it too much because high five um that brand of drinks work for Mm -hmm. me so I typically uh, I mean there's a kind of a general rule of thumb that you need one one gram gram of of carbs per kilo of yeah. body weight per hour yeah so i calculate that into my bottles and i can leave into the feed stations every five yeah. kilometers and i think it's great because it gets you your water your like fluids mm-hmm. in as well as your electrolytes and and um, you know the, and, the, and the carbs that you need to kind of fuel you now i know um some other like a lot of the other marathon runners that i know would kind of play around with it and a lot of people drink coke particularly in ultra running actually mm-hmm. but I could never really get into that yeah. it's just counterintuitive for me to be drinking coke when yeah. you're it gives you a boost for the last hour apparently you yeah. get the hit and it'll just do you for yeah. the last hour I know that I in Donegal we, we had coke in our last the last stint last rotation but would you, you not be coke. worried that you'd bonk then once you start well I suppose it was different for us because we were getting like a break after every half an hour you were getting maybe yeah. a 10 or 15 okay. minute break and, and you were only taking it for the last hour of each rotation Right. so we were breaking maybe for 5 hours or four hours and then you were fueling you were resting and you were gotcha, refueling yeah. back up again and stretching yeah. and sleeping and whatever in between and do you stints. eat solids then on the run no well i it, when i did the 50 mile in um in san francisco i did because i had to i mean you can't just survive on the that all that sugary stuff for mm. whatever many hours so um i did um i've actually never tasted a nicer peanut butter sandwich in my life <laughs> so are you running eating the peanut butter sandwich yeah but that was like that is unusual because yeah. I only have ever done like one race that's over fifty k. Okay, I think up to the fifty k point, you can you're manage. fine on on the sports drinks. Do and you take gels. the gels as well? I usually take two in my back pocket in case my drinks aren't at the table or somebody's knocked them. Yeah, because often, you know, you'd have your you'd have your drinks handed in, but the the runners ahead would be trying to grab theirs and knock yours accidentally. So I have often had an experience where the drink just isn't there, and rather than panic, I'll have your a gel instead. Plan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can I just come back to some training stuff? Uh, you know, you, you probably do an awful lot of running, specifically running. You're doing a lot of swim, bike, running. But what about core work and strength work and, and, and that? Do you, do you do much of it in, in the course of your training week? I do two sessions a week with um, Peter Matthews in Dublin Sports Clinic. Uh, it's just in Dublin City Centre here. And I have to say it is fantastic. Since I started doing it, I haven't been injured. Um, From your core and S&C work alone? it's kind of it's a it's a specific run yeah exactly strength and conditioning class now I'm putting it down to that I possibly don't run as many miles a week (laughs) as I did when I was getting injured all the time but I feel I'm so much stronger I feel when I'm running I feel strong everything all the exercises that we do and all the like we're not lifting heavy weights 
but everything that we do, I mean, Peter Matthews obviously is an international runner himself and he's very clued into, you know, all, you know, exactly what you need, you know, where you need to be strong. He's, you know, he's, he's excellent at looking at your posture, looking at what position you're in, doing every single exercise. And I find that fantastic. I really do. I think, and I mean, they're, they're such a nice um, group of people there. I, I do train on my own, as I said, but I find that um, those two sessions a week, that's kind of my social side and I really enjoy it. It's, it's tough, but it's, 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 it's really good fun and it's amazing for my running. Yeah, I find it hard actually to fit in uh, specific strength conditioning. Um, I managed to do it last year in my lead up to Kona because I wasn't working as many hours. But now that I'm back to normal life, it's it's the one thing that I do neglect a little bit. But I am lucky, I suppose. I teach some Pilates classes, so I do incorporate that a few times a week. So I am getting some core work done. Um, but as regards being like Katrina doing the twice a week, I'd love to do that. I just need another four hours in the day <laughs> every day every day <laughs> Do, uh, Aileen we, we said at the outset that you were the only Irish woman to fly the flag for Ireland in Conan Last 2017 year, yeah, yeah. Um, so I suppose this is a more general question about gender in, in endurance sport um, to both of you so I know there's a, so I suppose the perception of triathlon in Ireland is that it is one of the fastest growing sports um, and they have, Triathlon Ireland are actually very good in promoting female participation from the grassroots to supporting female athletes and we also, we had Aileen Reid um, who was I think Ireland's most decorated triathlete um, and so I suppose what is it like at the, at the endurance side of that, at, at Ironman for, for Irish women? Well, there's certain there were certainly a lot more Irish males last year in Kona, um, with me being the only female. But I was there two years previously, and I think there was five or six females, and maybe 2016 there was the same. So it was unusual last year that I was the only the only female. Um, but there's there are so many women competing in triathlon. Um, like if you turn up to any race, any corner of Ireland next weekend there'll be a whole load of women there. And clubs know. seem to have a real focus on women uh, and kind of women's blocks and on and female coaches, development of female coaches. Yeah. Um, like all that kind of, it's a really holistic approach that Tri-Ireland are taking, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's great. And they had a great, they had a, you know, they had a women in sport day there back in October that we were both mm-hmm. involved in. So it was, yeah, it was a great brainstorming session just to see what are the, what are the needs around the country for female athletes in different triathlon clubs and what you know what we could do and i think as well even on a on a local scale you'll see some of the race organizers will hold female only waves in their races because a lot of women are afraid of the swim park getting into triathlon the hardest bit of it for most people is the swim section because you know you get out of the swim you're on your bike the worst that can happen is you can fall off it you can crash you get a puncture but you know you're not going to drown a lot of people have a fear of drowning and that's mm. the big thing or the being out of depth of water and the, the murky water underneath but on a on a on an Ironman level um, you know Ironman have implemented a new uh, as part of the Ironman Foundation the Women for Try uh, programme which is encouraging women to take up the sport of triathlon and it's not just the Ironman races it's across the board and they've invested you know a couple of hundred thousand euro over the past number of years into uh, that programme and I'm lucky enough to be one of the global ambassadors that gets to actually encourage women to take up the sport of triathlon and remove some of the boundaries or the barriers that might stop 
women from taking taking part in triathlon events um, and it's fantastic and even from an Ironman perspective you'll see in the UK uh, we'll have anywhere between 19 and 25% female participation in a 70.3 distance race a little bit slower or lower uh, in an Ironman distance but that's to do with general lifestyle Mm. opportunities for women to get out of work to not have the stereotypical minding of the kids blah 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 yeah. that, that affects all women in all endurance sports and um, but they really are putting a big push on trying to get more women into the sport which is fantastic and I know as well from being involved with a lot of the marathons around the country is that there's a lot more women will do a 10k and a half marathon and a lesser number of women that will do a marathon but the numbers are changing mm. they're absolutely changing and well, I'm sure Dublin you marathon, see it yeah Dublin Marathon this year um, they they um, like the the kind of uh, the gender split. No, but the reason. Sorry, I'm trying to think of the term. The press launch was all women the, as it well, was, wasn't yeah, it? Because yeah, because it's, it's it is trying to it's specifically trying to encourage women to run it this year and to increase women's numbers. So the split at the moment, I don't recall the stats off the top of my head, but it has been growing consistently, but still a lot lower than the, the male participation. Um, this year to mark the hundredth um, anniversary of women voting, it's um, Countess Markovich is actually going to be on the finishers medal. Wow. <laughs> Another reason to do it. <laughs> and the organisers are actively, you know, trying to encourage more women to do it, which I think is fantastic. And, you know, I suppose I think personally speaking, like I understand there are, you know, barriers to, you know, as you mentioned, Joanne, like there is a stereotypical women look after the kids and all the rest. But I think that there's no reason really why in this day and age, you know, there shouldn't be 50-50 split. And I'd love to see it, you know. What about in uh, in ultramarathoning? So, um, I mean, I know that falls under Irish athletics and uh, they're, and they're equally great in kind of encouraging female participation. But what what is the, the gender split on, for example, the Irish ultramarathon team or... Or yeah, what do you? What are the gender dynamics in in the ultra side of your sport? Uh, again, I can't remember the stats, but I know for say for the national championships in Donegal this year, I'd say there was off the top of my head maybe thirty percent of the of the total were women, and even at that, I'd say that might be generous. It okay. was significantly male dominated. Mm. Um, now on the Irish team that I went to for the world championships in Qatar, there was two men and one woman. But, you know, I suppose there was a limited number of places that could go. So that, and, and because you're traveling abroad and, you know, that's a financial decision as well. So that might sure. be slightly different. But um, I think I would agree with Joanne's uh, observation that as the distance increases, the dro- there is a drop off in women participating, which is strange, yeah, it you know, because women are actually better endurance athletes than men, when, I think, and, fundamentally. And apparently, apparently after you've had kids, you actually are more, your pain threshold is higher, so yeah. you can push yourself even further. Mm. Um, but the other side of it as well, I suppose, is, you know, women have the babies as well. So we yeah. need time to give our bodies to recover. You know, we go through a lot of hormonal changes that men don't go through. There's menopause, perimenopause. We have periods every month unless you're doing something to not have them. You know, if you put your body through IVF or fertility treatment, like it takes a long time to recover from anything that just is almost a natural thing for women. So is there always going to be less women maybe in endurance sport because of our physical and hormonal makeups or biochemistry. Yeah, and I think there's other there's other barriers. I know when I thought about doing a triathlon first, my issues were really like, what do you wear? Like all I had ever seen a triathlon was really skinny girls in their swimsuits on a bicycle and then running. 
you know, that's all I'd seen. It's like, they're not wearing any sports bra. You know, is it not sore? <laughs> Are they doing their the makeup in transition? You know, so I'm, like when I thought about doing, I was like, what, am I, what do I wear? You know, where do you get changed? You know, all these kind of practical questions, practical questions yeah. that actually stressed me out quite a lot. Um, so yeah, you just put it all on before you get into the swim <laughs> and then you take off the wetsuit and you're just ready to go. A lot of the time though, it's the same for the marathoners because you look at the, I mean, you Google elite female marathoner and they're like, it's it's pretty much yeah. the difference between what you would wear for a triathlon and a marathon is minimal. Like yeah. it's socks maybe. Yeah. Like, you know, the marathons <laughs> might, might, might wear more. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they might wear short shorts whereas we'll wear our bicycle shorts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, But what I was going to say to you there was that um, what's really good, actually, is that people aren't just paying lip service anymore to women in sport, that there's actually a lot of things happening now and people are making big strides towards getting more females on board. And um, I think what's really important as well is is the fact that the it comes back to training and racing with the club is that there'll always be somebody in your in your club whether it's a running club a tri club swimming or cycling or whatever your sport is that have gone through all this before so you have a wealth of knowledge of people that are generally very approachable and you know they want to give back and they want to help the beginners or the newbies or the iron virgins or whatever it is that are coming into the sport they want to help them and they want to impart the knowledge because we like talking about the sport that we do so like being part of the clubs is hugely important as well, I think, from a women's sport perspective. Yeah, totally agree. And I think there's an awful lot more encouragement of uh, teenage girls to continue. And that was, I suppose, historically the big drop off. And I'm not sure that that's happening as much anymore because, you know, as a nation, we're definitely much healthier generally. And people are out and about. I think people, I mean, sometimes I can't believe how many people are out running and cycling yeah. and it's brilliant mm-hmm. like you'd think you were in Australia <laughs> but um, I think that, that it's become more of the norm now so I, I mean maybe I'm being too optimistic but I think that you know teenage girls that see that and know that you know that is there's loads of opportunities and um, I think that might also help with the you know as people get older then that they just that it's part of their lives it's not something that you have to get into or it's a chore it's just something you love and you're used it to it becomes normal life exactly. it's normal to be yeah. an athlete yeah. it's normal to mm. put on your gear or it's normal to get up at the crack of dawn to go for a swim although it'll never be normal if I, <laughs> <laughs> I do take my head off to you on that one Aileen yeah I love my sleep <laughs> so, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up with one final question and it is our fair game recommends question so it is something that we are asking all our guests and Joanne I'm going to put you in the hot seat for this one as well, if you don't oh mind. Oh, Lord. Um, it is something that each guest recommends regarding women in sports, something you've read of late, um, an event you've attended or are attending or are competing in, um, a movie maybe about women in sport or an interview you've listened to. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to... Any takers for first going? Can I recommend running the Dublin Marathon this year, given that it is focused on women and... Uh, uh, I think it would be brilliant to see a 50-50 split in the entrance this year. It's all sold out, so I, I wonder if we can find that out. It is all sold out, it's isn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty oh, sure it is. It is. Yeah. Did you get your entry? Well, 
Oh, I should hope so. <laughs> Have you not seen Mighty? <laughs> you know no, what? You can, I'll tell you what. Come to Galway instead because Run Galway Bay, although our marathon is sold out, we do have entries available for the half and the 10K and we have loads of women down there. So it's brilliant because our split is about uh, 45-55 for the 10K and the half marathon. Uh, in terms of a female-focused event or activity, um, I would say keep an eye on the Women for Try Facebook page and get anybody who's into trans who's maybe um, interested in the sport and wants to just chat with like-minded people or have those silly questions maybe that you're afraid to ask your coach or ask somebody women for try there's a couple of thousand people on it it's an American based uh, but there's plenty of Irish on it as well um, and uh, anybody who wants to come to Galway get in touch and I'll set you up with a 10% off code for the 10k or the half marathon in Rungoy Bay Look at that and we'll link to both of those on the Facebook page as well Aileen Yeah so my current uh, female sporting heroes a young girl called Molly who's just turned up this week swimming with our group in Hup Hup and Greystones so she might be one to watch in the future she seems to have a little bit of a grow for triathlon and a uh, the love in her eyes for it so yeah it's great to see the, the youth uh, jumping on board and trying to uh, yeah I like it in. Uh, so my recommendation is um the Man Bun podcast, uh, when you're finished and only when you're finished listening to this one, uh, the Man Bun podcast uh, interviewed recent Western States endurance run. She came third. Her name is Lucy Bartholomew. It's a 45 minute listen and uh, she's great. She's really chatty. It's a, it's a super listen. So um, on that note, guys, we're going to say thank you very much to uh, Joanne Murphy f- for being my fabulous co-host, uh, for Aileen Flynn and to Katrina Jennings for joining us in studio uh, in the Fair Game Hot Seats. You can follow them both at cjennings1x uh, and Ailes, A-I-L-S Flynn on Twitter and also on Joanne Murphy underscore um, and while you're on Twitter make sure you follow us at Fair Game Cast there's so much live action involving Irish sports women to look forward to in the coming months and that's where we'll keep you up to date with all of the necessary information hopefully to get you out onto the sidelines um, a final reminder to check out runlogic.ie uh, for their 10% off all Saucony uh, shoes this month only July um, and tell Ash we said hi uh, so a final reminder as well to subscribe to the podcast whatever app you're listening to us on iTunes Android Stitcher and Spotify that way then you'll get the next one delivered directly to you that's all for this episode we'll chat to you again next month This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Find all your favorite movies and shows faster with Xfinity. Just speak into the X1 voice remote to search across live TV, on demand, even Netflix and Prime Video. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today. Restrictions apply.